such a good song. We all have battles. Everyone's different. We probably don't know all of our battles, but God does. How do we fight them? Being surrounded by him. What an incredible encouragement. Let's pray together as we jump into the message for this morning. Lord Jesus, we are comforted that you surround us, even in the midst of storms, in the midst of battles, um, just in the midst of life. God, we're just so thankful that you, for whatever reason, you've chosen to guide us through life. You don't abandon us, but you're right there with us. We don't deserve that. I don't deserve that. I could never earn that, but for whatever reason, Lord, you do that every single day. God, we are so grateful for your love. We are so thankful for your guidance, your name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned just a little bit ago, my name is Joe. I'm my head up the youth ministries here at Three Timbers Church, and every once in a while they let me preach a little bit, so we're going to preach a little bit to you today. But um, as we're jumping in, we're going through a series together here at Three Timbers on 2 Timothy. It's called the Endurance Test, and going through life takes a lot of endurance. And I, I'm thinking about as we're going through this and as I'm getting ready today, we're jumping into chapter 2 this morning. And I remember a lot of things that took a lot of endurance in my own life. And one of those things for you may be work. If you have a job, you probably are familiar with how much endurance and perseverance it takes to even get through a work week. Well, I know, I don't know if there's anyone in this room, but I know for me, I have not done a great job at work in years past. I'm not going to say this year in particular, but in years past, I have not done a great job in work. I'm not sure if there's anyone else in this room, but have you ever been called out by your boss? Have you ever been chewed out by your boss? Or have you ever been confronted by a supervisor because you weren't doing a great job? You just think about that for a little bit. I'm sure most of you guys are perfect. But for me, I'm not always perfect, and I have been called out. Fortunately, not so much here at Three Timbers. You see, we work for Jeff, more or less, as part of the team, and our staff is working together. And Jeff, Jeff is extremely gentle when he decides to confront you on something. Usually the way it goes is he'll come into the office and he'll ask, hey, how are you doing? And he takes a minute just to really dive into your personal life and see, you know, if there's anything going on, has there been something that's just thrown you off lately? And then he makes this beautiful transition because he goes from, how are you doing? So you feel like, oh, it's all about you. And then he transitions, he goes, because I've been noticing something that you've been doing at work that hasn't been great. And then we have this conversation, but it's so gentle. It's like you're a child and your dad's coming to talk to you and he's extremely loving. I haven't always had bosses like that. I'm not sure if you have bosses like that, but it's a great thing when you have a boss like that. When you don't, the conversation can be a little bit different. I remember way back when I was just starting out in the workforce, 15 years old, a titan of industry. I was a little kid trying to find a job so I could afford a car. And there was an opportunity at a retirement home back in Omaha, and I, I had an opportunity to get a job with this retirement home working as a waiter in their cafe area, their dining room. And I thought it was going to be an interesting opportunity. A friend of mine and I, we were both going into our sophomore year in high school. We both decided to apply, and that worked out great. But I'll tell you what, you find out your friends real fast when you go to work with them, because we both interviewed for the job, we both got accepted for the job, and then without telling me, my friend 
ditches me for an opportunity to work as a lifeguard at a pool. And I find out the first day of work that he is nowhere to be found, and I'm surrounded by 80 and 90-year-old people without a good friend to rely on. So I felt completely abandoned and alone. But thankfully, a month after I got the job, an old friend of mine from middle school who was going to a different school for high school, she applied and she came on to work at this retirement home with me. And we knew each other and we got along great. And we talked a lot during our shift because we're 15 years old and we didn't know any different. And one day, about three months into the job, my boss then, her name was Teresa, she was a really nice lady when you were on her good side. But my goodness, I found out very quickly that Teresa had a bad side. I remember three months into the job, um, Teresa called me into the office early to start my shift. She sat me down and she mentioned that myself and this other friend of mine who started just a few months ago as well, we had not been doing a very good job. And in polite ways, we'll just say, she told me that I was not being attentive enough to the residents. I was not filling up the coffee, which if you're wondering, that is a cardinal sin when it comes to retirement home waiting. I was not taking orders fast enough. There were a number of things that were going on that were very good. And she finished the conversation by saying this, I'm firing one of you today. I haven't decided which one, but I'm gonna fire one of you guys today. I'm 15 and my face goes white as a sheet. I have no idea what to expect. I've never been fired from anything. I didn't even know you could get fired at 15 years old. I thought you'd just call your parents and they'd like discipline you or something and then you'd be fine. But all of a sudden this reality hit me very, very hard that I could be fired that day. So you better believe that shift, I was on top of every single resident that I served. I was like a five-star restaurant. I had the napkin over my sleeve. I was asking people if they needed more coffee before they even got the first cup of coffee. I was asking people if I could get them their salad as much as you could. I was, I was freaking out. And for that four-hour work shift, which in the 15-year-old's mind is like an eternity, I, I really thought that I was gonna lose my job. We got to the end of the shift, the end of the night, and Teresa calls me back in the office and she says, you know what, I think you did a really good job today. I'm not gonna fire you. But sure enough, she fired my friend. And I got back the next week, she was gone. I realized very quickly how real it is that you can lose your job, you can lose opportunities when you don't try your hardest and when you don't do your best. At 15, you usually don't think about that. Usually when you're 15, 16, 17 years old, you learn either through school or home or wherever else, you learn how to do just enough to get by. I don't know about you guys, but I, I learned that and I was a master of that as a teenager. I was a master of that in college where I could learn how to do just enough to get by. I got very, very good at it, but I realized I was not reaching my full potential when I was just doing enough to get by. I look at life today and I think that a lot of us have learned how to do just enough to get by, but many of us don't really know how to reach our full potential. And I wanna to talk today about reaching our full potential when it comes to a relationship with Jesus, being a soldier of Christ, being a messenger for Christ. How do we reach our full potential when it comes to the endurance test of Christianity? Because I really do feel like a lot of us struggle when it comes to going after Jesus with all of our hearts. And most of us, we struggle because we just do enough to get by. I'd mentioned I work with young people. That's what I do here at Three Timbers. That's what I've been doing for a while with a few different churches. 
And working with young people, I have figured out something. Most of them in their teenage years are very, very focused on doing just enough to get by. They're very good at that. When it comes to school, I'll be talking to kids either in this church or other churches, and they'll mention to me, hey, um, I've got such and such homework. I'm going to do it in the half an hour I have before I get to the class. Why? Because I know I can get it done because I've done it before. It doesn't matter how good the homework assignment's going to be when I turn it in. It's going to be done, and I will turn it in. It's enough to get by. And I can't tell you how many times I've had those conversations with people. And it makes sense in a lot of ways to me, because I understand that time is a limited resource. I understand that you only have so much of it, and you're going to choose what to prioritize your life with it. So sometimes we do just do the minimum so we can get by. But when it comes to reaching our full potential, I think that that's something very, very different, where effort is required, and a different mindset is required, if you will. Right now, I'm actually in school myself, so not only am I teaching kids in school here at Three Timbers, but I'm also in grad school at the moment. I'm getting a master's degree, and just this past a semester, I had a class where they teach you a whole lot of big terms. And that's what I've kind of figured out getting a master's is all about. They teach you big terms, so you sound like you know what you're talking about, and then they, you pay them a lot of money so that you can learn these exciting new terms that you can share with people that sound smart. So that's what I'm doing with my life right now. I don't know if you guys have ever done the same thing, but this past semester I learned a new term. It's called self-actualization. Self-actualization. Sounds like a big word, but basically what it means is pushing oneself to reach their full potential. I think that's very interesting because usually in the younger generation, the way it works is other people push so that the student will reach their full potential. A teacher will push, a parent will push, maybe a teacher's aide will push, or a tutor or a mentor will kind of push that student so they can reach their full potential. But self-actualization is something that takes a lifetime to achieve, but it's someone who pushes themselves to reach their own potential and they don't rely on anyone else to do it. It's a very, very unique thing, and I know when I was 15 years old, I was not that person at all. I wouldn't even get out of bed unless my mom knocked on my door, and then five minutes later opened my door, and another five minutes later turned on my light, and then finally ended with this crescendo of my dad walking in and pulling me out of my bed. That's usually how it worked on Saturday mornings when I was 16. I didn't do anything for myself. I didn't take the initiative on anything. I was a pretty lazy kid. I was not a self-actualized person at all. But I look at this word, I look at this term, I, I look at people who push themselves to be better, push themselves to reach their full potential, the impact that they make on the world, the influence they have on people around them, it's profound. I take that concept, I take the concept of school, concept of work, pushing yourself, reaching your full potential, and I look at the Christian context. And I, I realize that in our Christian community, our community of faith, oftentimes we don't push ourselves to reach our full potential with Jesus. Oftentimes we settle for just getting by. Talking to a lot of teenagers, I hear usually four things that they're really focused on when it comes to being a Christian. Four things. It's usually, I'll talk to a teenager and they'll say, I need to read my Bible more. I know I do. I got to read my Bible. I don't read my Bible enough. Or I'll get the, I need to pray. 
I don't really pray. I, I know I need to pray. I, I'm going to try to do it. I'm going to do it like at least once a week. I just need to pray. I'll talk to somebody and they'll say, I, I know I need to be nice to people. Because I'm a Christian, and a Christian's supposed to be nice to people. Sometimes it's really hard for me, but I know i got to be a nice person to people I meet. And then the fourth one I usually hear, I'll have a teenager say, I know, I know, I need to go to church. i got to show up. I need to be there. I look at those four things, and I think to myself, yeah, they're good. Those are great goals to try to achieve. But in my mind of Christianity, in my mind of a relationship with Jesus that starts now and lasts through eternity, those four requirements sound like the minimum. None of those four things make me think that they are reaching their full potential for Jesus. Reading your Bible is great. Yeah, we have to do that. Absolutely. God speaks to us through his word. We've got to pray, continue that relationship with him, communicate with him. I know if I never talked to my wife throughout the week, we would have a really, really tough relationship. So why would we think that in order to have a relationship with God, it's okay to go week to week to week without talking to him, without praying? So I get that. Those are good. Being nice to people, that totally makes sense to me. Going to church, yes, those are good, good things. But for whatever reason, the young generation, at least the ones that I interact with, and I've been doing ministry for a little while now, and most of the kids I interact with, they're very focused on these four minimum requirements. What they think in their mind equals Christianity. And I I get scared because I see a new generation who is doing just enough to get by with their faith. And I don't see that in the Bible. That's not what I see in the Bible. In John 10.10, Jesus tells us he has come to give us life abundantly. Some translations say life to the fullest, not life in the minimum, not life that's just enough to get by, but life to the fullest. And when I hear these young people talking about, I know I got to do these minimum things, that way I can feel better about myself and I can be a Christian person, it makes me scared because I see a generation of people that are growing up learning, doing the minimum requirement is enough to be in a relationship with God. I don't think that's biblical. I really don't. I think Jesus was talking about something else. The fullness of life doesn't come through the minimum requirement. The fullness of life comes through reaching your full potential. Being a self-actualized Christian. Do you know who was a self-actualized Christian? A Christian who reached their full potential in life? Well, we've been talking about him for the last couple of weeks. It's a guy named Paul. Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament, including 2 Timothy, which is what we're going through now. One of the things I love about Paul is that he lived his life 100% for Christ. He never held back. Check this out. It's in 2 Timothy 4, 7. This is just an incredible verse. It says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That's Paul at the end of his life listing what he has done with his life. And he honestly is saying, I have kept the faith. I have ran my race. I have fought the good fight. He can say that with 100% transparency. And that blows me away because I look at my own life and I know 60% of the time, 70% of the time, some weeks, 90% of the time, sometimes it's better, like 10% of the time. But I know that a large percentage of my life is typically not 
100% all out for God. It's not all in for Jesus. And yet Paul, this self-actualized man, at the end of his life, looked back and he proclaims to the world through this book, I have fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. I've ran my race. That's the type of person I want to be like. That's the pinnacle of Christianity. That is reaching your full potential. I want to learn what it means to be that type of a Christian. I don't want to be the bare minimum Christian. I don't want to be that person. I want to reach my full potential when it comes to chasing after Jesus with everything I've got. And that's why we're going through this book, 2 Timothy. We're trying to learn what it means to be a Christian that is all in. A Christian that can endure all of the trials in life. So I'm going to ask you guys, if you have a Bible, get it out. If you have a phone, maybe bring up the Bible app, whatever you've got. We're going to jump into 2 Timothy. We're going to chapter 2. And we're going to be reading through verses 1 through 10. You'll see it behind me. So this is Paul speaking to his apprentice, a guy named Timothy. Paul, who's a man that has reached his full potential. He's known as a world leader for Jesus. And he's talking to his apprentice, his mentee, Timothy, who is up and coming, the next in line. That's what's going on here. So we got verses 1 through 10. Paul says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. I wish I could talk like that. Don't you wish you could like, talk like that and just inspire somebody just by your words? I can't imagine what it would be like to be around Paul. Like every single day he would say something like that and just blow your mind. But it blows me away. And when you look in this passage... A lot of us have probably read through passages like this and we're like, wow, that was really profound. That was eloquent. Let's move on. But what I found in this passage is a guideline. Paul, speaking to Timothy, it's a guideline on how to live in such a way that you reach your full potential for Jesus. Paul's laying out a guideline right here in this passage. We're talking about reaching your full potential. Well, how do you do that? How do you get there? I love the Bible because it not only tells you what you need to do with your life, it shows you how to do it. So let's take a look back through this passage. There are six requirements Paul is giving Timothy in this passage on how to live your life in such a way that you will reach your full potential. You will impact the most people for the kingdom of God. This is incredible stuff. So we're looking here in verse 1. 
Well, the first thing that Paul lists out to Timothy is that, hey, you've got to be strong in your faith. If you want to reach your potential with God, if you want to reach your potential on earth for Christ, you've got to be strong in your faith. Right behind it in verse 2, it says not only should you be strong in your faith, but you've got to teach others to be strong in their faith. If you are not giving away what you're receiving from God, then you're really not doing anything to expand the kingdom of Christ, are we? You've got to teach others to be strong in their faith as well. Verse 2, right there, right behind that one. Verse 3, take a stand for Christ. And the way Paul says it in verse 3, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. This past Friday morning, I was at a men's group. I do a men's Bible study usually on Friday mornings. And we were talking about suffering for Jesus. There were probably about 15, 20 of us in the room trying to figure this thing out. And there were a lot of guys that really didn't, they didn't get it. And I kind of, myself included, we were all kind of confused. Like, how do we suffer for Christ? And we were looking at our culture. We're looking at this American society that we live in. And we were figuring out, man, is it's not a suffering culture right now. Like to be a Christian in America is not nearly the same as being a Christian in Sri Lanka right now or being a Christian in China. It's very, very different. There's not a whole lot of suffering going on. How are we supposed to suffer for Jesus if we live in a culture that is not persecuting us for our faith? We're having this conversation, a bunch of guys in the room, some pastor guys, some just regular business guys, we're trying to figure this thing out. And what we kind of discovered is that even though suffering may not look the same horizontally compared to other cultures or other countries, suffering still happens on a daily basis. And what it really comes down to is, are you taking a stand for Jesus or are you not? And I remembered during that conversation, I remembered what happened to me when I was in high school. I mentioned to you that I wasn't a great work ethic kid growing up. Well, I also had a problem when it came to my faith. I was a big part of my youth group and my church when I was in high school. I loved my youth group and my church. But i got to be honest with you guys. When it came to my high school, I described myself as a spiritual doormat. I let people walk over my faith all the time in the halls of my high school. Very rarely did I stand up for my beliefs with my peers and my classmates. I did not want to be ousted. I did not want to be pointed out. I did not want to stand out for being different. I wanted to laugh at all the same jokes that everybody else laughed at. I wanted to make fun of the same things they make fun of. I wanted to be interested in the same stuff that all of my other kids wanted to be interested in because I did not want to stand out. You know what we kind of concluded on that Friday morning? Is that if you're going to suffer for Jesus, you got to take a stand. Doesn't matter how strong the current is, if you are a tree in a river, you're going to have to stand against water no matter what. Our culture may not be so deliberate and direct with the persecution, but you better believe it. In every single opportunity you have to stand up for Jesus, it is going to feel uncomfortable. And there is going to be a little bit of lashback. And someone may or may not persecute you for what you say or what you don't say. We figured out, yeah, if you're going to suffer for Jesus, you've got to take a stand for him every single day, regardless of what the price is. Going down just a little bit further, verse 4, it follows that up by saying, don't get distracted by worldly affairs. It says, no, sir, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs. 
Don't get distracted by what's going on in the world. There are so many things happening right now in our country, political things, social issues, a lot of stuff that's very important. But I would say this, I would say that some of those things that are very important can become too important. And all of a sudden we identify ourselves by whatever political issue we're pushing rather than by our residency as a child of God. My dad and I, we have this conversation all the time. He's a very politically minded guy. He loves talking politics. He loves talking social issues, relational issues, you name it. An issue, he loves it. I have to remind him on a regular basis, what is your first citizenship? Are you an American or are you a citizen of the kingdom of God? Which one's more important to you? Which one comes first? Because I know a lot of American Christians that they say, I'm an American first and then I'm a Christian second. And if my American viewpoints are challenged or corrupted or if somebody attacks those, then forget about my personal faith. I'm going to attack back. And right here we're learning don't get distracted by worldly affairs. Focus on Christ. Focus on what's going on with the kingdom of heaven and everything else will be added unto you. Jumping down to verse 8.5 that we're learning from this passage. Keep true to the gospel message. You'd think that'd be so easy, but you know what? It's really not in this culture. It's a postmodern culture. Relativism and tolerance is kind of what's being preached all around the world right now, especially in this country. Just this past week, I don't know if you guys heard about this or not, but in Omaha, just this past week, a Methodist church officially opened right down on 132nd and Pacific Street. It's part of that triune community of faith. It's a Methodist church that just opened up. It's a Muslim mosque, and it's a Jewish temple, Jewish synagogue, excuse me. And all three of them opened up together saying that we are all together in faith. We worship different ways, but we are all unified in our faith, and we're going to support each other. And I get the message behind that. And I'm not going to try to put... Um, I'm not trying to attack the Methodist church at all. I'm not trying to attack any church. But I know what John 14, 6 says. Jesus is very clear in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And in this culture, it feels more and more like people are saying, it doesn't matter what your religion is, what your religion is if you're a good person, then you're going to be able to go to heaven one day. Being a good person is what's really most important. We can all be good people. I tell you what, Jesus worked with a lot of good people, but he made them God people because they realized that he was the only way to heaven. If we are not keeping track of the real gospel message, if we are saying that being a good person is enough, if we're accepting other cultures and beliefs, we're missing the gospel message. Paul's very clear in verse 8, keep true to the gospel message. And then the last point, that what I see in this passage is verse 10, endure everything so that others see Jesus in you. <clears throat> endure everything, not for your own sake, but so that other people would see the hope of Christ in you. Nothing is more powerful than watching a Christian go through a trial or a difficult situation and seeing their faith shine through it and realize that that faith is real, that faith is grounded in a real God that has gotten them through that trial. Paul, as he was writing this letter to Timothy, was chained up, awaiting his prison sentence, which was going to be death. And he says, you know what? I may be chained, but God's word is never chained. Therefore, I will endure everything 
so that those who see it would come back to know Jesus. We endure everything so that others can see the hope that is inside of us. We're talking about reaching your full potential. I'm looking at these six requirements. I'm seeing a man who was self-actualized in Paul, a man who reached his full potential because he did all six of these things. But I also am very aware that it's about 10.45 on a Sunday morning. There's a very good chance you guys are going to be going off to lunch. And in a couple of hours, you're going to complete, or completely forget about everything that was talked about today. Why? Because that's usually me on a usual Sunday morning. So I'm going to try to narrow it down, go from six just to one thing, because Jesus, he sums up all of this stuff perfectly in a verse that he gives us in Luke chapter 9. It's verse 23, and it says, Jesus said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. If you want to be my disciple, every single day you got to wake up, deny yourself the pleasures that are around you, kill off your will to do what you want to do when you want to do it, and make the choice to follow Jesus regardless of the price. Paul gave us six steps. Jesus summarizes it with one incredible verse. Deny yourself, take up your cross, an execution device, take up your cross every single day and follow me. Kill yourself off every day so that only I remain inside of you, shining through you so that others can see you as a beacon of hope. That's what he's saying. That is a high order. That is not easy to accomplish. But that is what reaching your full potential looks like. I look at this church, and I don't know if you guys are aware of what's been going on in this church for the last month. Um, I've been so impressed. I've been so inspired and excited by what's been going on in this church over the last couple of weeks. Um, we've done some really special things as a church body. Obviously, we're not a big church, but we have done some big things. I've just been so proud of you guys because we have been trying all 2019, which is all of five months so far. So we'll see how the other seven go. But so far, we've been trying very, very hard to get out of our comfort zones to invite and unite people. That's what we've been trying to do. And over the last month, we've done some really, really special things. We've had two groups, two different groups, about 40 people going over to Camp Legacy, which is here in Bennington, and helping them clean up. We did that for two weekends back in April. Camp Legacy is not a Christian organization. They don't have anything to do with Christianity. We have a relationship with them because we're in the community. We had a group of adults go out, and then we had a group of teenagers go out and just love on these owners trying to get their camp ready for summer and the hundreds of kids that are going to be coming out there in just a couple of weeks. We asked for nothing in return, but we just loved on them with a whole bunch of sand and shovels and gravel and blood, sweat, and tears. Or maybe that was just me. Everybody else is perfectly fine. But for two weeks, that really meant something to me. Just a couple of weeks ago, right here at Pine Creek Elementary School, we threw a Cinco de Mayo party, which I'm going to be honest, I won't speak to the rest of you guys, but me personally, I have no business throwing a Cinco de Mayo party. None at all. But we did it anyways, and we tried it out. We tried something new. We brought in a whole bunch of attractions, a bunch of food. We invited the community. We almost got rained out. There were thunderstorms and thunderclouds all around us the entire event. But we brought in some 250 people from the neighborhood 
just to have a good time for free. We loved on those people. I can't tell you how many conversations I had with moms and dads on that night, that Sunday night, saying, thank you so much for doing this. I had one guy who was like, I knew you guys were going to keep it going. Everybody else would cancel because, you know, it's the logical thing to do when there's lightning in the area. But I knew the church, the church was going to pray through it, man. And he had never been to church before. And I was like, that is a really cool thing that you would say that. I had a mom who was so thankful she came over with three little boys that she could barely corral. And they spent the entire time running around playing laser tag that we brought in. So if nothing else, we tired out her kids. And you parents know that is a blessing. I'm just so proud of what we've been trying to do. And then just last week, you guys, just last Saturday, we had about 40 people go down to North Omaha and love on a neighborhood in North Omaha through our partnership with the Abide Network. We spent an entire morning mowing lawns, picking up a whole bunch of trash, going into houses and carrying out rotten furniture for people. We had a block party, we had grilling out, we invited the neighbors in the area to come over and just have a good time. We flooded a neighborhood with three Timbers people. And we loved on those people. It wasn't just giving some time and a lawnmower and a weed whacker. It was having conversations and relationships and building hope in people's hearts. It blew me away. And I look at those things that our church has been doing corporately. I'm so encouraged because I understand that our church, even though we're not perfect, and many other churches are doing the exact same things that we are, but I'm so encouraged that this church is striving to reach its full potential. I'm very encouraged by that. This church is not settling for the bare minimum. We are striving to invite people beyond ourselves and unite with what God wants us to do. And I think that's awesome. But if that's where it ends, it's not enough. If you come here on a Sunday morning and you hear all the great things that your church is doing, and then you do nothing with it for the week, that's not enough. The kingdom of God expands when we individually strive to reach our full potential. Not just when one person or one organization does it, but when all of us do it together. That's what Paul's talking about. Paul is telling Timothy, one person, if you do these six things, you will change the world around you. I see a group here of about 100 or so people. If each and every one of us did those six things in our own personal lives, how greatly would the kingdom of God be impacted? How incredibly different would the people in your life be if they are blessed by you because you are strong in your faith and you're teaching them to be strong in their faith? The last thing I'll leave you with is this. It's pretty simple. I've been trying to break it down for you all morning. We went from six things to one thing. Now I'm just going to give you like one word. It's a really simple question. Do you want to reach your full potential? And that's a genuine question. Nobody has to answer it, but I'll be honest with you. There are some days where I'm like, no, I don't. I have this conversation with a lot of teenagers. We have the conversation about the Olympics. I use the Olympics as an analogy all the time. I say, I would love to be in the Olympics, but I do not want to do the work that it takes to get to the Olympics. I call that wanting to want to do something. 
You don't really want to do it because you don't want to put the work into it. But you would love to be there. I would love to be in the Olympics. That would be amazing. But I'm not interested in waking up at 5 a.m. 365 days a year and working out for eight hours a day so I can get good enough to actually be in the Olympics. And that's kind of the same thing is true with this question. Do you want to reach your full potential in your relationship with God? Do you really want to do that? Because it's going to take everything you've got, 100% of yourself. That's what it takes. If you do, the answer is simple. Say yes to Jesus. That's it. When you feel like he's calling you to do something, say yes. When you see that person at work that's having a rough day, you got that little nudge in your heart saying, hey, go over and talk to them, say yes. When you feel that twinge in your heart that says, I need to give, whether time, money, whatever, to this person that you know in your life, you're like, mm, I really don't know if I want to do that, say yes. If you want to reach your full potential for Jesus, say yes. Yes. Amen. Amen. I'm going to have the uh, worship team come on up.